Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. It is always a very good idea to think hard and well about the future. And at our last Blister Summit, we brought together a panel to talk about the future of snow sports. And as the leaves are turning here in Crested Butte, and as many of you will now have received your Blister Winter Buyer's Guide, we thought this would be a good time to get everybody thinking again about our beloved snow sports, their future, where they're headed, the potential challenges, and the like. So today you're going to be hearing from Nina Waters from Blizzard Technica, Dr. Len Nessifer from Natives Outdoors and the much beloved Sonoran Avalanche Center, Dan Abrams from Flylo, and Hannah Werty from Icelandic. And the result is a very fruitful conversation about the future of snow sports. And if you would like to catch all the conversations from our last Blister Summit, you can find all the conversations as videos on our Blister YouTube channel. So if you would like to watch along as you listen, well, we'll include the links to this video in the show notes of this episode. And again, you can catch all of our other Blister panel sessions from this past summit and from all past Blister Summits over on that Blister YouTube channel. And... If you would like to catch conversations like this at our next Blister Summit, well then join us at Blister Summit 2024. That is February 4th through the 8th right here in Mount Crested Butte. It is going to be another incredible event and we will include a link to the next Blister Summit so you can get all the information on that. But my advice is to hurry up and register for that because I do think we are going to sell out of the number of available tickets. But we are already looking forward to seeing so many of you here at that summit. But now, let's all think broadly about the future of snow sports. Here we go. All right, everybody. Time for another panel session. This one, actually, Nina Workshop titles with me. Thank you very much for that. We decided to call this the future of snow sports. Nina threw a question mark on at the end. So the future of snow sports, I guess, is how you properly pronounce this panel session. Let me kind of offer this as the the cue ball break. Uh, I've just been thinking a lot about snow sports and what we're doing well, where we can improve, and um, as we just said in the title, the future of this whole thing. Um, two big things that I think are important to think about. We've spent a lot of time uh, talking about uh, climate change in terms of what that might look like for the future of snow sports. I have found myself thinking more about demographics. Um, how are we today? How are companies today in the snow sports industry talking? To young people? Are we bringing young people into these sports? And how are we doing in terms of just broadening the base of people who like to slide around on snow? So, those are just a few of the questions I had. And what I like to do sometimes 
is then just to create panel sessions about some of the things I'm wondering about. And uh, that's exactly what we've done here tonight. So with that as a bit of an introduction, I would love to have our panelists just tell you a little bit about who they are before we get into some pretty big topics and hopefully some very good ideas. So Nina, tell the folks about you. Of course. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Nina Waters. I am uh, an ambassador for Blizzard Technica, the Women, women to Women program, um, as well as Kari Tra. I am one of their ambassadors as well. And um, I am really involved. I'll do a lot of work in DEI so that for those who don't know what that is, um, diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, and so I do a lot of that in the idea of bringing more people to the outdoors, um, people who have never experienced it or never had an idea that they could ever experience what the outdoors could bring to their lives. So that's something that I, I take a lot of passion in. Um, I also am on the Blizzard Technica idea team. So we are kind of the team that brings some of these diverse groups to the mountains and try to get them on snow particularly. But I also, um, in the summer, I'm a raft guide. So I try to get them on rivers as well. So, yeah, glad to be here. Len. Hi, my name is Len Nessifer. I'm the chief facet officer of the Sonoran Avalanche Center. We're a for-profit avalanche center based in Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Right. Looking at, you know, I mean, one of the areas we've been working a lot in is in non-snow avalanches. If you look in the dictionary, it'll define avalanches as, of course, snow, but they talk about rock, dirt, all those other things. And we figure there's a for-profit opportunity there. Um, we've been working a lot with companies on talking about climate change, um, shit posting on the Internet, because that's a lot of fun. Um, and basically using thirst traps to get people to vote. Um, it's, you know, all of the above. Um, but yeah, I'm, we have our uh, company car here. It's an Italian sports car. Um, it's fully wrapped. You might see it in the parking lot. Um, but we're, we're here to just raise awareness about, you know, the importance of where our facets are coming from. Um, you know, there's a lot of questions about what the government's doing, what Vale's doing. You know, we really have to look deep into this. So that's why I'm here. Hannah, yes. Hannah, good luck following that. Yeah, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that one, but <laughs> um, I'm Hannah Wordy. I am the marketing director at Icelandic Skis. Uh, <laughs> if you're not familiar with Icy, we're a Colorado brand, um, born and bred Colorado. We make our skis in Denver, um, and I guess I wear just a lot of hats um, at the company. Um, and lately I've been trying to do lead and um, kind of present more experience-based trips to our audience, which I think is kind of relevant to today's discussion. But yeah, um, I'm super stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Dan, <laughs> Dan, who are you? I am Dan Abrams. I'm one of Jonathan's patients. <laughs> when I have boot problems, I call Jonathan. Mm -hmm. When I have ski problems, I call Jonathan. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also the co-founder and president of Flylo Gear, which is a ski clothing company that has a lot of home bases, one of which is Colorado and Tahoe and Jackson and Seattle. And I started the company in my mom's basement, and I am still a devout, habitual skier, and I've built my life around being able to ski most days or mountain bike 
you know, when there's no snow. And I think that uh, I just try to pay attention to what's going on in the outdoor industry and, and that fly low is a reflection of the community. So it's interesting to have a touch point on every part of a company because we're small. And when we're, there's successes, it's, you know, like I have a lot of good people that I work with. And when there's failures, it falls on me. So I am, don't take any of it lightly, mm. but I'm having a good time doing it. Mm. Well done. <clears throat> so um, we've got a lot of people from a lot of snow sports companies in this room. And, um, you know, I think this will be a great thing because I think some of the things that you folks will be hearing tonight, you'll be like, oh, good. Yeah, we're kind of doing that. And then there will be other things where it's like, we never thought of that. And, uh, you know, I think that um, as Nina and I were talking about this the other day, um, again, I think we have come to probably many of us have sort of heard like, oh, if you happen to like skiing or snowboarding, bit of an existential threat if all snow goes away. But again, I've just been thinking too about, well, if our, if the community of people who mountain bike, ski, raft, like to go outside, if that demographic continues to age or continues to sort of stay narrow in terms of who we're bringing into these things, also an existential threat. It's not one I'm afraid of because I think that we are better than that and smart enough to adjust course. Everybody always, every company, every industry should be adjusting course. So again, sorry, I guess that was my second introduction, but I want to now turn it to you. Um, and maybe Nina, tell us a little bit about, you mentioned, say it again, the ideas. The idea team. The yeah. idea team. Okay. Mm -hmm. That seems like a good place to start given what I just was saying I was wondering about. Mm -hmm. How have you all been thinking about some of these things? Yeah. So um, the idea team at Blizzard Technica, we have a kind of a, a twofold uh, purpose. So uh, we do a lot of work externally by bringing on different groups um, and organizations like SOS Outreach, um, providing them with whatever they need, whatever one, like whatever that group or uh, uh, ski touring or inclusive ski touring, which is based out of the East Coast. Um, these groups, you know, they're just trying to get more people to ski. And so we work with them and kind of sit down with them and ask them, like, what is it you're trying to do and what can we do? Um, so that's one side of the coin. Right. But the the part that I find really interesting is that it's also uh, it's an internal program as well. So the idea team also focuses a lot on diversifying and hiring practices. Um, they work a lot on trying to make um, the company Blizzard Technica uh, Blizzard Technica Group, which encompasses a couple other brands as well in the snow sports and also an outdoor industry. We try to kind of diversify, shake it up. Um, I think something that that a lot of people forget about or I think what we're starting to clue in actually a lot more on is the idea of diversify or die. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, in the last year, the last couple of years, our country, our way of life has had this major reckoning of realizing that like, oh, if we don't change, we're gonna continue to repeat the same, the same problems and the same trajectory that we've been doing and something has got to break because we're tired, right? We're, we're all tired of seeing like violence on our televisions. We're tired of seeing the world crumble in front of us. What can we do to change that? And so, you know, 
what we can do in the snow world is, well, we can diversify our company, right? We can start there and maybe try to open people's eyes to being like, well, this is something that I've never done. Um, full transparency, I didn't know how to ski uh, eight years ago. Um, I grew up in Florida um, and it was like, oh, looking up, I've moved to Summit County kind of on a whim for, for some other reasons. And I was like, wow, people slide on planks of wood down that shit. Mm-hmm. You got to be nuts. Yeah. Um, and then I did it and I was like, oh, wow, this is like the most addictive thing that I've ever done in my entire life. Mm. But it's changed my life for the better. And we're trying to do that internally as a company, but then externally by diversifying what we do, diversifying the ways that we've done things. Because I think in, in the grand scheme of things, right, we'd all be better for it, wouldn't we? And so, yeah. So, and so that's kind of, that's what we're doing at, at Blizzard Technica. And, you know, hopefully it can be kind of a, a pattern that you can recreate in other organizations, not only the ski world, you know, the mountain biking world, all of these different you know, organizations and brands and groups. Len, I know you spend all of your time figuring out how to get rich off of facets, but do you devote any amount of time to thinking about these issues of who are we talking to currently in snow sports and how, what might we do a bit different or better uh, along those lines? Totally. I'll take off the sack hat really quick. I run another company called Natives Outdoors. Oh, yeah, right. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to talk. Uh, <laughs> sack started as a joke over a few beers and it went too far. Um, uh, but I run a company called Natives Outdoors and we, we were largely figuring out how do we get more representation of native peoples in, in these sports. Um, and the reason is, is, you know, we're in, we're in a place that has... <laughs> My, my people, the Navajo and the Ute fought over, obviously, because it's got some awesome skiing. Um, uh, but, you know, it was, you know, there's a deeper history of these places that we recreate. And one of the things that we've been trying to do is like, how do we build a shared vision and message with the outdoor industry and these places that we all love, that we all have deep connections to? Because, you know, when you spend, you know, when you get on the ridge out there or if you're out on skiing and you just have that moment of bliss, I mean, in many ways, that's the basis of a lot of indigenous cultures and the relationships that we have with these places. And being in these landscapes, you get to tap into that, too. Um, and so one of the things that we've been working on um, in the ski industry is, is figuring out how do we address this issue of cultural appropriation. So cultural appropriation is the use of design, artwork, the cultural property of a marginalized group of people, um, and that benefit largely doesn't sit with them. One of the things is that we identified early on is that people like these designs, people like indigenous designs, if you've ever seen the Pacific Northwest line form, Navajo rug designs, and we were figuring out how do we create a solution to both meet consumers' demand, but also ensure that there's a benefit back to the community and also native artists. And so the past couple of years, we've been working with a number of companies, SmartWool, on connecting them with native artists. Um, Weston Skis, we've mm-hmm. done um, a pa- two sets of pairs of skis and split boards and snowboards with them. Um, and one of the things that we saw is really key to that is that, of course, the design's beautiful, but also the story has a lot of power behind that. And so the other part of our work there is... Um, uh, film and media and storytelling. And we, we've built, uh, it's taken a lot of money and a lot of time, but we've built an indigenous film production crew. In large part, it's, it's one of the things that we saw early on is that when we're working with these artists, we have to ensure that, you know, as, as filmmakers, the, their stories get filtered through our lens. 
and having the competency of knowing and understanding the nuances of where they come from, what the designs mean, and being able to accurately reflect that in brand media or whatever it may be um, is something that we saw as sort of the other flip side of that coin. And so we've worked with, um, yeah, on Weston, we did a short piece on our, our graphic designer, Vernon Key, who is a Marine veteran, an artist, and he's also a dog catcher on the Navajo Nation. So if any of you have a dog in Southern Colorado, there's a good chance it went through his house. Um, but you know, it's like, how do we tell that story? Um, and how do we sort of connect it to a broader audience, but also make it relevant to the native community? It's always a balance, you know? Um, and it's always trying to figure out how do you, um, do these things authentically? Cause as we all know, we've seen uh, paid media content. That's pretty tacky. Um, and, and one of the things is that we really try to center those two on product and story. Um, the other, the other angle that we've been approaching that with the Sonoran Avalanche Center is, you know, how do we talk about climate change in a way that's um, not so doom and gloom? It is doom and gloom, no doubt, but it's easy to turn it off when that's all we're hearing. Yep. And, and so one of the things that we've been really focusing on in uh, Tucson is that we have the southernmost ski area in North America, Mount Lemmon. It's about a thousand vertical feet. You can see Mexico from the top of the lift. They don't sell Modelo's at the, <laughs> at the base lodge, which I'm kind of bummed about. Um, but, you know, it's, it's this idea of like, you know, skiing in Tucson is almost a joke. And, you know, one of the things is that we've seen with the rise of short form video of chaos posting and that sort of thing, it's something that is connecting with a lot of younger folks. And so it's like, how do we retweak our messaging and branding and the way that we're talking about climate change in a way that engages younger folks in a way that's funny and fun and like, yeah, haha, we're skiing on rocks. Um, uh, into a way of, you know, of connecting with that younger audience in a way that draws them in. And then once we need to feed them the vegetables of like, here's the climate science, here's what's happening in the Colorado River, here's what's happening in the snowpacks, they're much more receptive. Um, and so last year, we worked with Protect Our Winners on doing a Get Out the Vote campaign. Um, and it was largely focused on shitposting. Uh, and, you know, it's like, how do you make voting sexy? And we don't, well, we literally made voting sexy. Um, we, if you, if you all are familiar with thirst traps, basically we edited thirst trap videos and then like inserted Cody Townsend to give a, get out the vote message about five seconds in. Like so, the least sexiest person in the world. <laughs> that's quite the trick there. Yeah. Uh, but it worked. And, you know, I think that's one of the things is just, it's, it's kind of rethinking and throwing out some of the models of formality and, and just trying to think what's the culture now and how do we meet it in those different ways. Mm. Mm. By the way, I need I need to tell this because my good friend, the strikingly handsome Justin Bob, uh, he told me this a couple of days ago, Len. Um, J Bob, when he's not producing like 87 podcasts a week for us, uh, is a firefighter in New Mexico. And he told me that the his entire team, his entire uh, firehouse follows the Sonoran Avalanche Center. And he said, none of them ski, but they love, they think it's hilarious and awesome. And I was like, okay, we're about to do a panel on like, how do we broaden reach? And one, J-Bob would have been mad at me if I didn't tell you this story. But two, I was like, okay, well, there's one thing right there where we're captivating the interest and attention of people who aren't diehard skiers. They don't even actually do this. And I'm like, man, we need to only like find 197 other ways to do things like that and then we got it so you got 196 more to figure out tonight. <laughs> so anyway but thank you for that yeah um 
Hannah and Dan, I want to, I've got a slightly different question for you. Um, from the outside looking in, it seems like your respective companies, Icelandic and Flylo, are doing quite well. There's growth. We're doing well. Businesses, turns out, are hard. So on the one hand, it would make sense to me if it's like, man, we're just trying to keep it all afloat every day, right? I, like, I would get that. I'm curious to know from here from either both of you, um, how much time do you think about the sort of things that the questions I've raised tonight in terms of sort of even future proofing your own companies? Hannah? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think that's a constant struggle. I think a lot of people can feel in any job that they're in, right? That <clears throat> you're so inundated by the day to day, your micro tasks, whatever you're doing to keep your business afloat, that a lot of times it can be hard to take a step back and think holistically of like, okay, where are we heading? What are we doing? Are we doing a good job as a company to accomplish all of these things that we've talked about, but maybe aren't taking steps to do? Or, you know, are we doing all of the things that are put, pointing the ship in the right direction, so to speak? Um, so I think, you know, I don't know. I guess it's, it's, it's hard as a small company um, to be able to Sorry, I'm like totally losing my train of thought. Full transparency. I'm very nervous. This is my first panel ever. Um, But I think one word that Len said that really stuck out to me was accessibility. Um, And I think that comes down to so many. I mean, there's so many things that fall under that umbrella. It it comes down to diversity. It costs, comes down to the barrier to entry in a very expensive sport, um, whether that's skiing, mountain biking, whatever it is in the outdoor industry. Um, and then I think it also comes down to just ease and intimidation. Um, I think there's a lot of intimidation that surrounds skiing. Um, and I think about some of the, you know, media you know, it, it falls to so many levels, but I think it falls to a lot of the media that is produced a lot of the times and making, I think, trying to make that relatable um, is hard. And seeing, you know, videos that are coming out from whatever Instagram accounts or TGR, you know, it's amazing skiers doing these really cool things. And that's aspirational and beautiful in its own way. But how do we create content that relates to somebody who's never skied before or, um, you know, has never even thought about it or whatever it may be? Um, So I guess relatability is something I try and focus on as a brand Um, and the content and the messaging that we're putting out is how do we make skiing relatable, fun, approachable um, and something that everybody can do and that's a big ask and a big question but um yeah i don't know i guess i'll i'll start there yeah but absolutely um i think that over the last three years uh as dei became a big part of the conversation and we've already been talking about climate change you know it it had Everybody at our company looking within 
and seeing what we were doing and what we weren't doing and and going down to the nitty gritty of like just looking at at the fit of our product and like trying to be inclusive. And we had no idea because like I'm a medium that wears a large and like so I'm very focused on making stuff fit well on me. Um, but, you know, like we realized that our fit gradient was was really small, that we weren't taking care of the extra smalls or the XXS and we weren't taking care of the double XLs. Um, and it's stuff as simple as that you, that you think we would have taken care of. Um, but we were 12 years old at that point, and we looked within. We looked at our color palettes and started to look at, you know, like, oh, there's this broader range of people in the world, and we should think about the color palettes that work on different people's skin, like you and I talked about, Nina, right before this panel. Um, we looked at the content. Uh, that we were creating and tried to represent a broader, you know, more diverse community that is the ski community. And then there's there's the whole aspect of just global warming and and having an apparel company that was so focused on skiing. So in order to protect our company, uh, we decided to start making summer apparel. And, you know, like sometimes it's going to be a long summer and sometimes it's going to be a, a long winter. We always hope for a long winter. But that was a way that we could protect the company uh, and the jobs for the future. So it's definitely everything gets wrapped up. And, uh, and fortunately, we had uh, our, our VP of product, a guy named Chris Bloom, came on. And he had come from some different brands like uh, Fox Mountain Bike Apparel, Under Armour, doing ski apparel, mountain hardware. So all those things that anybody that knows fly lowers, like all phases of our game, outdoor, alpine, mountain bike, alpine skiing and mountain biking. And, um, and he was really great about, you know, showing me not only how we look within, but what we can do to change it. And so we've completely revamped all of that stuff that we've talked about, but that's just what we can do to start. We have to keep, looking within and seeing how we can be better uh, because that's what it takes to, to make a company keep going. Um, and that's what this, you know, like snow sports industry needs is like, is being able to adapt. Like I was saying before, like we're a reflection of our community. Let's talk a little bit about intimidation or things that are intimidating. So on the one hand, I'm thinking this isn't unique to snow sports. If I was to take up tap dancing, you know, which I'm probably going to do tomorrow, like I would be very intimidated going into like a tap dancing class or, you know, a, um, what's the fancy dance? Flamenco? Is that a thing? Yeah. I, if I have to go do that tomorrow, I would be intimidated as hell. So I don't think this is something that is unique. It, like any community, any activity there, a beginner is probably going to feel a bit of that level of intimidation. Another thing, raise your hand if you had just, if you were on the mountain today, if you, if you had a moment where you just felt a little bit intimidated. Yeah, like, you know what? This happens probably most days we go do things. So this is interesting, right? Um, Dan and I were gonna go, I was coming in from skiing. I saw Dan, he's like, one lap, let's go ski lap. I'm like, okay. He's like, my knee hurts. And then freaking Hoji runs up and he's like, can I go ski with you? And 
you're not allowed to tell Hoji no. Uh, so we went and skied and, you know, um, and I skied with some people today who maybe felt a little bit of like, okay, um, are we going to be able to keep up here? And now I'm doing the exact same thing they were doing like one hour ago. This happens a lot. And I have not spent enough time thinking about this fact, you know, um, that maybe that is something that's a little different about an activity like skiing or snowboarding. So this is my question. I don't necessarily need all of you to have an answer to this. This is best idea, like best idea wins time. Have any of you thought about what we do with some of the inherent intimidation of skiing, snowboarding, whether you're brand new? Because one, one question is just coming into this. I've been skiing a long time now and still today. I was like, okay. Yeah, I mean, and Rob Dickinson and Isaac, like we had, and you told me your knee was hurt and we were just going to chill and that is not what happened. I sucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> and um, then I was a lot slower than those guys. Yeah. So anyway, thoughts on this? Best idea here? How, I'd probably use something useful, again, for the people in this room and like our entire global snow sports industry, no pressure. I mean, my, my first thought that comes to mind is like, is that Flylo has a lot of like young free ride people that are wearing our stuff. And it's like, it's a gaggle of like teenage or 20 something people that some of them are athletes. Some of them are, are just like fans of the brand. Um, but something that we've tried to do is, is ask our ambassadors to actually be ambassadors of goodwill and be nice in the lift line, you know, like don't intimidate people going on the Jackson hole tram because I'm one of them. Cause like, God forbid, like I piss off those guys and Flylo Dan's car gets keyed or something, you know, like, but I think that that is something where it, it usually starts with, with like the influencers and they're the, you know, like the most advanced skiers or snowboarders, they're on the hill every day. And that, those are people that I actually can influence. So companies can ask their ambassadors to like actually be good. I think we, we try and do something very similar at Icelandic, you know, every <clears throat> member of our athlete and ambassador team is considered family and we do our best to be super proud of all of them. And we, all of them have done a very good job for the most part of, of speaking well and, and just being friendly and inclusive. You know, I've, I've seen situations where some of our athletes were out skiing and wanted to ski with other people who were maybe not as great of skiers or they were new to the sport. And it's a beautiful thing where you can be in a situation. It's like, it doesn't matter what we ski. It doesn't matter if we're skiing groomers all day, greens, blues, whatever it may be. We're just out there having a good time. And I think perpetuating that inclusivity and that like just friendliness is a, is a big part of it. It has to come from ambassadors. Everybody. I can uh, speak to the receiving end of the, the generous ambassadors. <laughs> um, I, I taught myself to ski in uh, 2017. I was the biggest kid on the bunny hill. I had YouTube up and I was like, how do I do this kind of turn? Uh, still can't do that kind of turn today. <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I sort of in the path of creating Natives Outdoors, we were kind of around Bears Ears. And so I met a lot of... Um, snow sports athletes in the Salt Lake region because of the connection of the Salt Lake area to Bears Ears and what was going on around OR. Um, 
and you know some of my earliest friends were like Brody Levin and Forrest Shearer and you know I just was really honest of like I want to go do these sort of adventures that tell these stories but I'm not the greatest skier and they really took me under their wing and you know and like that mentorship gave me the confidence that I knew that I, I had the people and resources to you know get better and like new and they believed in me of course which matters a lot um but you know I think I I always think about that in terms of then when how I treat people that I'm mentoring now and how do I approach that because as you all know like those people have a lot of influence and a lot of impact and like the you know word gets around about what people are like right so um you know and especially if like that that approachability and that just sort of willingness to share knowledge and to like know in sharing knowledge we're building community and we're building camaraderie and I think that's a that's a powerful thing yeah I I mean as also as like I said I'm one of the newer people to this sport um I feel like an imposter every time I get on my skis you know but I'm I let that kind of settle in the back and enjoy it so much more and I guess I ask like I, I question all the time like does skiing have to be like that cool like it 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 doesn't have to be really cool to be enjoyable. In fact, at some point, right? Like, like, I mean, we, we glitz and glam and as much as I love like a really beautifully shot and rad ski film. And then like, yeah, it's fun at the end to like roll the credits and like show all like the screw ups at the end. But like, how many times do we get to see like somebody who's like learning and then like progressing and then um, there's one influencer, um, that I, I follow and I'm forgetting her name right now off the top of my head, but she, she, whenever she, po- she's an influencer in the running world. And she, whenever she posts, she's like, always like, please don't, uh, she's skiing. She's learning to ski. And she's like, please don't give me feedback on my skiing because I just don't need it. I'm just trying to have fun out here. What if we all kind of adopted a little bit more of that mentality, right? Like if we started to be like, you know, I'm just out here to have fun. We're all here to have fun. There's no reason to like to be worried, intimidated about what we're doing. I mean, sometimes, yeah, you're staring down the barrel of a shoot and you're like, oh, my God, am I going to be able to do this? And the best part about it is when you do it and you feel so alive, even if it wasn't pretty, even if it wasn't the best, you know, the best activity you've ever done. Like you've had days where it's not that great, but it's still so much fun and sharing that with other people i think is something that we we need to focus more on is sharing like the like the times like the nine times you got up after you fell you know nine of them you know it's it, i was asked the other day like what's your favorite day skiing and i swear to you it's like the day i skied at a basin from the top to the bottom without falling that was the best day and I've had some great days after that, like with lots of snow and all that stuff. But the best day ever still to this day is like the day that I felt like I accomplished something. And so I don't think that skiing needs to be that cool. I don't think the outdoor stuff needs to be so cool. We don't need to glitz and glam it. Maybe kind of show. And I think that that also removes us away from like some of those expectations of like needing to have like the coolest gear and having to look like my kit matches and having the freshest stuff like you can enjoy this on anything and in any way just get out there and kind of and all of us could be responsible for that we all have the tools the ability to bring someone out and say hey let's go have fun today and you don't need to be perfect 
and having a little more grace, I think is the world that I want to live in, in the outdoor industry. One of the, one of the things I really do love, and this maybe is a, maybe a little more unique to kind of our mountain sports stuff is, you know, like in climbing, there's not the climbing rule book. Like our communities learn these kind of ethics. We talk about backcountry skiing ethics and codes. And what I love is our ability that we don't need like legislation on this for some of the things you're talking about. It's just like, if you happen to be in this room or watching this panel session after the fact, that we just know, okay, right. So part of what it is to be a skier or snowboarder means you are never making fun of somebody's gear. You are never, you know, like, it's like, we just don't do that as a community because that's messed up, right? And so to just follow up on your points, you have, you, we've talked about mentorship and we've just talked about like, yeah, don't make it, it doesn't need to be cool. And people are out, help those people, celebrate those people. But like, I'm not, like I'm thinking through like backcountry ethics, we talk about that a lot. There are certain practices that we've kind of, as a community, called best practices. It'd be cool to start developing the unofficial, the official unofficial rule book of some best practices on this. That it's like, if you're actually a member of this community, here's going to be some of the things. I don't know. That's just a, that's just a thought. There were some, there were some hats that I, I get roped into making hats for a lot of people. Um, Cause it goes further than money, you know, like it helps people do good stuff. But anyway, I, helped out the Winter Wildlands Alliance make a hat that said Ski Kind on it. And I didn't know what it was about. I just liked the idea of it. It's just, you know, like, and it turned out it was about being good stewards of and having good backcountry ethics and being nice to your other backcountry people. But I, I saw it as like such a, a broader statement. And it was cool and it was funky with pink writing. So all of a sudden, like this idea of Ski Kind it applies to all of us. This is what I want to do. I want to open this up to questions earlier than we've been doing. And if you don't have any, I'm just going to keep asking my own. Um, so let's see how this goes. So the question was a common thing that gets heard is, hey, my backcountry ski zone or my ski resort that I go at is already crowded enough? Why do I want to be uh, supporting DEI initiatives and getting more people coming to crowd my home turf? Uh, my taco truck is pretty busy, like down in Tucson. I don't want more people going there. Tacos are really good. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, one of the things that I always say is like, this gets tied to larger policy. I, I don't, this is like totally flying by the seat of my pants on this, but from what I'm aware of, like there's hasn't been a new ski resort sort of approved for construction in the United States, and that's policy. Uh, no, I would say not, but there's been very few. It's been very minimal compared to like the boom that we had decades ago. Um, and that's a policy related question is like if there's this demand, of course, then like how do we meet it? And of course, we have to think about environmental implications of this and what that means. Um, you know, in Tucson, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's a ski resort that's mom and pop. 
um, owned by a family, and it attracts a lot of folks from Mexico, from Tucson, from other areas. But you know, one of the things I always say is that brings um, that brings strength and stability to a resort if you have a lot of constituencies involved in that process. You know, whether that's you know we we might be looking at a future where resorts uh, vi- economic viability is threatened. And what do we do? How do we build the constituency to protect these areas? And generally, when you look at larger level policy, larger level environmental work, you have to have a broad swath of folks. If it's just the current state of the ski industry now, it's going to probably lose. And the reason being is that we're looking at a future right now where federal public lands are going to be under review, or basically there's a lot more co-management that's going to happen between tribes and the federal government. And Right now, you know, the number of native skiers is very minimal (laughs) and and, you know, they're also going to be the constituent constituencies that are going to have a lot of sway on the management decisions that happen there. So isn't it a good idea to get those folks in the door and on the mountain um, and have an investment in that? I think, you know, like they're the resorts and the trailheads are already crowded. And getting to the ski hills is difficult that we all need to come together and try to push for more public transit and making it easier for all of us to get there. That's going to make it easier for all people, you know, like that are looking to, to join the ski community, you know, regardless, but just sitting back and complaining about it. It's frustrating. I know. Um, So that's when, you know, like we have to act. I think it's a matter of attitude too. You know, I, I'm on the in the front range of Colorado. I seventy is horrible on the weekends. Um, it's you know it's something like I could sit here and be super angry in traffic, or I could say, okay, well, this isn't the best, but look at all these people going out to do something that's really rad. And whether it's their first day or they're going to ski an hour or the whole day, um, I feel like it's coming together as a you know this is a this is a good thing. Skiing is fun. It's supposed to be fun. Um, I mean, there's no simple answer. I don't think like there's no like ski passes have never been cheaper, but also access to skiing has also never been harder. Like it, they're like they kind of conflict, but somehow, you know, these places are also getting inundated with a lot of people. But, you know, I think what's wrong with a lot of people realizing something that I, I would assume a lot of us have always known. Right. The pandemic opened a lot of people's eyes and minds to like a world that like they had never knew existed. And, you know, with that comes like we're going through some growing pains. I mean, I I live in a ski ski town and it has definitely experienced a lot of pain due to the influx of, you know, the cheap ski pass and people taking advantage of, you know, housing and things like that and Airbnb and all of these, all of these things just creating like this kind of storm. But with more people involved in the sport, I mean, that, in, that's, that means more investment. More people are going to be trying to make these places better. The gear is going to get better. All of these things can, can also improve the sport. So I don't know. Like, we've got to do both, but with nuance and care, I think. And I think that all of us have a responsibility to that. So the question is, given sort of that high price point of entry uh, for skiing, what can brands, uh, companies in the snow sports world be doing to make things easier for people of different economic statuses uh, to 
get into the door? I, I can kind of take this one first. I think, and it's funny, I actually just listened to your podcast episode with Jason Leventhal of J Skis, who I think said it pretty well for, you know, an industry that's very interconnected. I think a lot, a lot of times brands don't do a great job of working together. Um, I think there's a lot of room in this industry to provide different opportunities, whether it's a weekend or days of skiing at a very low intro rate where you can go get boots, get skis, get three lessons through the season. You know, things like that, like where we come together as an industry, both on, you know, the resort side, on ski side, bindings, whatever it might be. Um, Sure, maybe the profits aren't there or the you know, at the, at the end of the day, the bottom line isn't where you want it to be, but that is something we're doing to build the future of skiing. If we can make that happen. Um, I definitely have lots of like those ideas in, in my head and want, I guess it's, it's the challenge of how do we make that happen? How do we come together as an industry and pull something like that together? Cause I think it's super feasible. Um, I think it's starting to, I mean, I've seen, you know, there's been thing, you know, things like this demo, right. Where you can come and test skis and do all test outerwear and boots and skis, but is it super obtainable for the average person to come here and spend, you know, the cost for blister summit, um, the cost of lodging, the cost of getting here, you know, is that, is that the most obtainable thing? Are we doing like the most we can in that category. I don't, I don't know. I think that's something I'm still trying to figure out. I think, you know, in, in some respects, it's supporting organizations that are going to bring people up and introduce them to the sport, like big city mountaineers. Um, I know like the local Tahoe Truckee school district and where I live, you know, like they're doing uh, school days where they take these kids every kid in the class up to the ski hill and my kids are fortunate and you know, obviously they have to ski. Um, <laughs> my kids but, uh, but a lot of the kids in their class, like it's, you know, like half of our community is, is Latino. And some of these kids had never even turned up the road to Palisades Tahoe. And my wife was, you know, like telling me this story and they're just like, their eyes were wide open. They were blown away. It was only two miles away. So stuff like that and encouraging the schools to do it. And then from like a pure brand standpoint, like we can generate money and we can spread, you know, like word about this stuff. And I think that's great. But I think also looking at our product line and making it more accessible. Um, So, you know, what I'm going to send to Blister to review may not be, you know, like the stuff that we're making that is attainable for people, but the stuff works. Um, you know, we make a $190 pant that it works. It'll keep you dry. If you're going to go in the backcountry, I suggest getting something that's more breathable, but like you can make it happen. And then I just like, just thinking in my head about like used gear and how like consignment stores and, you know, like, you know, like just showing people how they could get that stuff without spending so much money. Um, not a bad idea either. Love it. One of the projects that we've been working on through one of our athletes, Connor Ryan, um, skier, uh, is been we've he's a ambassador for Icon Pass, but we've been working on doing an indigenous ski scholarship 
Um, and it's been in collaboration with like Smith and Solomon and Patagonia, but it's basically um, working with folks that are near an icon resort um, and uh, they go through an application process about why they want to ski, what they're going to plan to do with this. And uh, I think this year we awarded something around 15 scholarships hmm. and folks got a snowboard boots, you know, if they needed it um, and a full kit. And um, one of the things that's been really amazing from that is just hearing back from, we've been doing this for two years now, but hearing back from the folks that were last year's scholarship recipients and how much they love skiing and they're trying to get their family into it too. And just seeing how that's spread. Um, and that's been really successful and really awesome um, to work with a, you know, a, a past company, you know, is the, the big bad monster that's making our resorts too, too accessible. It's also building that long-term runway of, of a community of folks that will continue to be invested in this industry. Yeah, from the brand's point of view, there's a lot that that they're doing, I, I think. At least they're, they're thinking about and they're kind of questioning. But I think like a lot of us, maybe I'm assuming too much, but a lot of us aren't a member of a brand. We don't work for an organization, but like these groups exist. You know, inclusive ski touring, native outdoors, all of these groups exist in your communities. And maybe they aren't an outdoor focused, but maybe you're the person to bring the outdoor focus to the group. Right. There's all of these these nonprofits are like working their butts off and volunteering for an organization. Even one day every quarter really takes a lot of pressure off the people who are working there and could really feel great for you. Like internally, you know, I, I do a lot of volunteer work. I do a lot of like outreach work. And every day when I'm like it's snowing and it's a pow day and I'm like, oh, I got to ski with these kids. I'm like some days you're like oh man it's not gonna but then every single day my heart is richer i my my life is filled with joy because i gave somebody some something that was given to me by somebody else and that's something that we could all do who wants to recap that question <laughs> yeah it's it's how do you how does a nonprofit reach a marketing director at a brand in the snow sure. sports industry and, and get a yes you know and like Make it yeah. seem enticing as well, right? I mean, I think, I think they, you know, like nonprofits are businesses and they, you know, like, you know, obviously successful ones are ones that communicate their message well through content and social media. And, and then that is something that then inherently, you know, like marketing directors are going to be attracted to. So approaching someone, you know, approaching a brand and saying, hey, here's a chance that you can do that you can do good. Um, here's how you can support us with your product or with, you know, like your customer file, your, you know, like all the customers, your email list and stuff like that. Um, and here's what we can do for you. And it's, you know, like it's simply you know, spreading the word that like, that this company has a soul. And I think, you know, it's the same, it's the same question that an athlete should be, you know, like it's the same thing that an athlete should be thinking about when they approach a brand as well. And, you know, like we all want, we all want to work with as many nonprofits as we can, you know, we just need to be approached and we need to be, you know, like we need that information so that you're not just throwing you know, like throwing money everywhere because then you're not going to be as impactful. Yeah, I think to yeah follow up on that, I feel feel like on the brand side, 
get requests from lots of nonprofits every day and all my inbox is flooded with them. You know, Hey, can you donate skis? Can you sponsor this X, Y, and Z? And it's so hard because I, you know, if I dive into a deck or really get into it, I'm like, this is so cool. You know, I want to support this. This is going to serve this, this audience or, you know, this population. Um, and so at the end of the day, it's kind of a game of which lever can I pull that's going to do the most good and that's going to serve the most amount or the greatest number of people. Um, and if it's not dollar amount, okay, can it be product? Will that help? You know, obviously that's product doesn't help pay the bill at the end of the day, but like maybe there's an auction, you know, and I think it's, it's just trying to, like you said, figure out what makes the most sense to make the biggest impact. Authenticity goes a long way as well. Yeah. You know, being completely honest and authentic about what your mission is as a nonprofit. I used in another life, I worked in nonprofit development. So I was always asking people for money all the time. And it, it takes a lot of just being 100% pure and honest about like, this is, I believe this is going to do something good. And then having a little bit of proof that you've done some good before, you know, it takes a little creative thinking, but it's possible. Who's restating? Who's recapping that question? I'm now just. Yeah, I think the the question. How how do we address climate change and how do we think about that? uh, uh, First question is like, how do we address climate change? And I think the second part is like, how does DI and diversity fit into this larger equation? Um, You know, I think in large part, the Sonoran Avalanche Center started out as a joke. I think we had three IPAs at that point. Um, but you know, in, in Tucson, it's like, we're, we're living at the fucking tip of the spear of climate change. Um, you know, Mount Lemmon ski resort has no artificial snow. It basically gets whatever we get. I think we're at it. We've gotten 62 inches of snow this year going strong going for, yeah, (laughs) a lot more hopefully. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it, it's in many ways, it's the canary in the coal mine. Um, and we're looking at, um, you know, there was a 1961 article in the New York Times that was selling Tucson as a ski destination, right? And it was called Desert Ski Trails. You can look it up. And it talked about how the length of the season was from December, early December until April. And now we're lucky to be open 20 days a year. Um, and, you know, granted, we, we poach the resort when it's closed uh, and ski the ice. But, you know, it's like we're, we're skiing some pretty terrible snow. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've been thinking about is like, okay, like, haha rocks, like, but like, it's a real thing for us. Um, and, you know, it's like one of these things is like almost in deglorifying skiing, it allows us to have that ability to like, oh, like actually sometimes most of the time that we go ski in the backcountry, it's usually pretty shitty, right? I mean, it's the 80-20 rule. It's like, why don't we talk about the 80% of when it's just crust? Or when it's just weeds or, you know, when we're just bushwhacking, you know, there's, I mean, of course, some of that, but I think in terms of the media that you see out there, it's that perfect powder turn. It's the, the deep powell, which is true. And it's like, that's something we should celebrate for sure. But it's something that's going to be increasingly more rare if we don't address climate change. Um, you know, I, I think the other, the other part of this equation is snowpack is our water. Like when we ski, we're tapping in into a very important part of our water cycle. And I think one of the things that when we, you know, it's like, how much are we talking about 
our hydrological cycle and the importance of snow and educating our consumer base of what this matters. Because yeah, we're having a pretty decent snow year, but there's still going to be a shortage of water on the Colorado because the, all the soil that is from here between here and all the tributaries to the Colorado, they're sucking up 50% of the water that would otherwise end up in the Bureau of Reclamation's models. They're assuming that this is 75 or 80% of that water is getting there, but they're finding that it's way less. And one of the things that we, you know, as skiers, we have the platform and the ability to do is to talk about how these places are changing. And like, you know, we're, we're, we have such a privilege to tap into this side of the water cycle, but it's also that bellwether. Um, and, you know, I think what I think skiing here in Crested Butte, that water is going to come out of my tap in Tucson. And, you know, and, and yeah, it's like, okay, what, what ski company is going to come do a brand shoot or talk about, you know, in Tucson, Arizona, doors open, (laughs) um, you know, uh, uh, I'm happy to take you on some backcountry lines on Mount Lemmon. Uh, but you know, it's like also like, I, I think about the Marquette skis like that are no longer made. I mean, those are perfect for Mount Lemmon ski conditions, but we have to like make do with destroying our backcountry skis instead but you know you know there's i mean in thinking about what are the sort of products that we could offer in the future that are really durable that would actually be the rock skis i mean like make them out of kayak material you know um you know marquette did it and now they're no longer around so i think uh i think brands you know like i think and and everybody's talking about it and it's you know like it's reducing your footprint by using better materials investing in you know, in sourcing materials that are recycled, that can be recycled, that can be uh, compostable. Um, and ski manufacturers are doing it. You know, uh, apparel manufacturers are definitely doing it. Um, it's, but it's also stuff like, like lead times. Like the difference between my jackets showing up late and me having to air freight them in or me putting it on a boat that is burns so much less carbon, like that is super important to us. So, you know, as a brand, we're trying to forecast further out, try to get everything on the boats, hope the boats are getting more efficient as well. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing, at least for Flylo, is durability. You know, like make a product that you don't have to throw away. Make a product that you can fix, you can mend, and get your hippie hat out and just like just stitch it up and fix it and keep it going. And like and maybe we make that the new cool is having a patch on your pant. Also, I guess the question is, is if if we diversify and make ski hills more equitable, wouldn't everyone be really sad? All those people would be really sad if they couldn't ski it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's a thought. I yeah. mean, like if, if we had more people invested yeah. in the sport, yeah. they're all going to fight to keep the sport yeah. alive and by making whatever sacrifices they need to make in order to continue it on. A question for your question. Absolutely to that. I think that's great. And I think another thing that we need to talk about more as an entire community is actually advocacy and lobbying and voting. The and I by now and now I want to go macro because I think we've you all just talked about some things as individuals that we can do, but I think we do need to see more coming together of big ass players in the snow sports world, all banding together and start to use that power in terms of influencing policy. Um, 
And if that's not happening, honestly, I don't like our chances with a lot of this other stuff. If we're, if we're actually serious about making impact. Um, so that's something that I've been wrestling with sort of a lot and think, trying to think through. So the individual actions, fantastic. But if we're actually serious about this, our snow sports industry is not united like it needs to be. And this needs to start with the biggest players. And then we can all fall in line and do our part. But I think if we don't see that happening ASAP, that's actually probably the most doom and gloom scenario and the, and the stupidest, the most like slitting our own throats type of thing as an industry. I mean, I, I, in our, some of our work, we work with the department of interior and I mean, I know Deb and whatever. I mean, but if you look at their senior advisors, there's no skiers in that highest levels of government policy, you know, and, and we're kind of this anomaly of natives outdoors coming to them of like native skiers talking to the native secretary of interior. And it's like, oh, wow. Like there's actually an invest, like it perked her interest in a way that like isn't there, but I think more reflectively, like you know, across the board, there's not enough representation in government, in the, 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 our elected uh, members of Congress of folks that are part of this industry and that will advocate for it. You know, they'll pay the lip service, blah, blah, blah. Like Aaron, um, fellow SAC conspirator went um, skiing with uh, Senator Martin Heinrich of New Mexico. And, you know, those sort of events where you can get a Senator, a Congressperson, a special advisor to the secretary of interior to go out spend some time on the hill, they honestly, that's going to be the most memorable trip that they've ever been on because most of the time they're out just like looking at a new statue that's been created or something, just really boring stuff. And I think really in leaning into that, it's like in, in there's ways in which that can come together and that has real impact. I also, I, I, I don't want to say that you're wrong, but I, I push back because I also have in my own personal experience, brought down senators, government officials on rivers, on the Yampa River, one of the last wild running rivers of the West. And they were talking, you know, oh, how beautiful, how scenic, how wonderful these places are. And then on the bus ride home back to the boathouse, they're like, so yeah, we got to clear this place through. We got to get this contract to happen so that we can get these farmers this water, blah, 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 blah. I think we should say screw them and take it on ourselves. Like we need to stop. Like I know it's like politics sounds gross and nasty and man, does it suck to think that like, I want to, I don't want to run for an elective office, but like we kind of have to, because if we don't act like they aren't going to, they'll give us lip service all day, but they, they won't act in the way that's in our interest. So like get on, talk to your County commissioners, get on those boards, sit on those like, really long zoom meetings like act yourself like this this it's it's dire like they aren't going to do it we have to save it ourselves like and everyone has a responsibility to do that we're going to leave it at that please come talk to these folks thank you very much for this once again i think we've done some good work in terms of getting some good thoughts and conversations started. Uh, as we said, there are a lot of brands here. Um, and uh, I very much appreciate the perspectives and insights and challenges tonight. So thank you all. 
Well, that's it for this edition of the Blister Podcast. I want to say thanks so much to Nina and Len and Dan and Hannah for this conversation. Thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again real soon.